Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cricket Ultras. We've got the full complement of Ultras on today's show. Darren Burns, where are you? I am in Singapore, back from my vacation through Bonnie, Scotland. Excellent. Excellent to hear. Toby Doman, where are you? Hello, uh, I'm in uh, hazy Hong Kong, I'd describe it as today. Super. Well, now that you've both passed the concussion protocol, I think we can begin the podcast. And what a podcast it will be, because I, I, I think we will start by discussing one of the great test matches. And rather than look at it from the perspective of a winner, let's start with you, Darren. How are you coping? <laughs> um... I don't know. I was a bit shell-shocked, to be honest, after it. I think a lot of Australians were watching it. It was like watching a train wreck in super slow motion, um, especially that last 10 or 15 minutes of the chase. If anybody doesn't know by now, obviously, uh, Ben Stokes got England home uh, almost single-handedly, you have to say. But um, I'm still in a state of shock. I just can't believe the amount of opportunities that Australia had. The shanking mishits for six, you know, it just all went... And there's something, something going, I almost believe in God again after watching that. I, I think there's something going on with Ben Stokes where he's just this magical um, angels looking over him or something. It's, it's just totally incredible, but I'm still in a state of shock, to be honest. So you don't, you, you don't believe in God, you believe in Ben Stokes. I believe in Ben Stokes. And, and you know, it was, like, it was like one minute the ashes were there, you know. The ashes are just, are just there, just one more wicket, you know, one little mo- movement away. And then all of a sudden, it's, the momentum has totally swung back in England's favor, you'd think, after that that miraculous win. So just that knife edge the whole time. And you guys must have been having cardios too. Cardiacs maybe even. <laughs> well, Toby, let's let's go to you because I suspect it was a pretty tense affair in the Doman household. When did you start when did you start to believe that England were gonna win? He always believed. <laughs> I no, look, we're very very pessimistic in our household. I think I didn't believe really until it was down to single figures. But I think let's the, the, just go back a bit because I think Ben Stokes, obviously the hero um, of that match, and and had scored I think two runs of fifty deliveries the the night before, and was playing boycott esque cricket, and then completely turbocharged and played sort of both them all beyond. And so it was just the seesawing uh, of emotions, and I think it's once. I think once the switch hit off Nathan Lyon out of the rough, which was rude, by the way, that was a rude shot. Um, Audacious. It was ridiculous. Yeah. That was, and to hear, you know, Michael Atherton was on comms at the time I was watching on, on Channel 9, actually. And I never hear him get that excited. And I think his, the tent, you know, the sort of the, the sound of his voice getting so excited kind of gave me hope and excitement. And I thought, well, we, we might be on here. So that's when I started thinking we're, we're in. I think Michael Atherton is, is, is well known for his, uh, his, his own switch hitting. Dower. Uh, <laughs> Dower switch hitting. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ben Stokes, to be honest, with the ball as well, you know, he really got them into the match. I mean, Australia did quite poorly, I thought, to get 246 only on a pretty good batting strip. And it was all down to Ben Stokes, wasn't it? Three wickets and just pounding in over after over. And he sort of single-handedly won the game. It was just a superhuman performance. I mean... That on top of the World Cup too is just this guy is just riding high, isn't he? It's the summer of Stokes. It really is. It's crazy. You talk about obviously the World Cup final when he kind of single handedly in that case as well rescued England. The bat of God. That amazing, <laughs> yeah. That that amazing catch, the claw in the first match. You know that that you cannot do that, Ben Stokes. And and you know I think what we're learning is you can't really say that to Ben Stokes. Uh, he's a beast. He is a beast. And it's crazy to think that 12 months ago, he was where? Where was he? Bristol County Court. Mm. <laughs> he was. 
That's right. Could have been a very, very different story for Ben Stokes. It's really, I mean, it's, I don't think I've ever seen a, a turnaround on this kind of scale. And just the seesawing test, right? You know, the first day it was shitty conditions. Australia, you know, lost a toss, sent in on a crappy, like, looking at day. The ball was doing all sorts. They scraped to 170, which is probably a good score, given that position. And everyone was saying, oh, you know, I was watching TMS as I was driving through the Scottish Highlands, right? And there was all this thing about, oh, it's great. We've knocked them over. And the next day was a beautiful sunny day. England are going to come out and bat them out of the game. And then all of a sudden they're bowled out for 67, right? And then it's, hold on a minute, you know. The seesawing of that game was just so incredible right up to the last session, right? It was incredibly phenomenal match of test cricket. It really was. Yeah, it's one of the great matches. Obviously, Stokes, one of the great innings. Uh, spare a thought for Kusal Pereira. Yeah, I was going to mention who, him. Um, <laughs> exactly. Who? Yeah, his, who? Own, <laughs> yeah, his own fourth innings heroics. P- possibly a tougher, a tough, a higher degree of difficulty, may- maybe, because, you know, for a Sri Lankan to do it against South Africa away from In home. South Africa, yeah. That's a real David and Goliath. Yeah, in, in South Africa. And I, I suspect his, his fourth wicket, sorry, his 10th wicket partner, Vishwa Fernando, not quite at the level of Jack Leach, maybe? Mm, maybe not. Um, I noticed too on the, um, I think it's on uh, Wikipedia, the Ashes has been changed to, to say that it's a series between Australia and Ben Stokes, uh, not Australia between England, right? Was that you, Tobes? I think well, your, your point about uh, Stokes, and he sounds, he's made it quite clear he's embarrassed by any sort of redemption type stories around him. He seems quite. Seems actually quite a, plac- a placid, sort of sensible, slightly sort of internalising-looking guy. When I saw his press conference, and he admittedly shattered uh, and probably a bit shell shocked, like like a number of people having watched the game. But you know, he's such a strong. You, know, you said the miss hits for six, but without that strength, they would just be caught at, caught at mid wicket. I think he's a he's a strong guy, he's strong mentally, and he really wants to uh, be a core part of the England team. And he, my God, he is. Um, and Jack Leach, I think, uh, was watching Ian Chappell on. Channel 9 actually just being very magnanimous about Leach because everyone will talk about Stokes but that was 17 balls and the biggest single run innings he'll ever have in his career and that was a key key partnership for them because Stuart Broad was out I think after two balls and Wokes had scooped it uh, to, to mid-wicket so it, it was looking like it was well and truly over and then Leach was just getting in behind it Cummins didn't have I'm surprised he didn't go shorter and, and faster to Leach because he looked decent uh, on ducking under the short ball but there wasn't anything really truly Aggressive, and I think Tim Payne was quite um, was quite clear in his press conference at the end to say that the mindset of his bowlers could have could have improved. I thought he was very gracious as well in his captaincy. The Australians come out of this with great credit. I yeah, think. they were all quite gracious at the end. I think most of them. Um, yeah, we'll talk about Shane Warne later. But he's but... not a player. Come on, he's a pundit. But but just if we, if we sort of recap that the, the opportunities that Australia had in that last over or two was just incredible, right? The drop catch. Difficult drop catch, I must admit, you know, running in from third man. That was a tough one, okay? But Nathan Lyon, you know, straight back to him at the bowl, is, you know, just fumbles it, right? He's usually a great fielder, normally okay. And then that, obviously, the LBW, which even some of my Australian friends say was missing leg stump. But anyway, Hawkeye showed it slamming into leg stump. And taking that ridiculous, that ridiculous review with, with that ball pitching about a foot outside leg stump the previous over. So just the conspiring things that went against him, um, and they just didn't take their chances, right? And then, I mean, that, that it could have been a loss by, you know, a two-run win to Australia, right? And it turned out to be a win to England. It was just such a great knife-edge game. And things, everything went wrong for Australia in that last sort of half an hour or so. 
Um, it could have gone wrong. It's pressure, isn't it? It's it how totally they deal is. with pressure. And I think the, the, the home advantage, everyone talked about Edgbaston, Fortress Edgbaston, which seems a bit over the top. But my God, the noise. And I actually compared, I looked on YouTube, I watched the Botham at Headingley. I mean, that looked like a sort of church parade at Headingley in the 80s. It was very gen- very genteel, a few people reading the paper. This was absolutely <laughs> like liftoff at a football match. And so I think that also played quite a big part in the atmosphere and generating some pressure. Yeah, I think, I think you're totally right. It definitely was, it was a big part of it. I thought Australia probably frayed a little bit in that last half an hour. I think um, the bowling wasn't quite as good as it had been throughout the rest of the match. I think the field placings from Tim Payne were a little strange as well. I didn't think he, he came out. His captaincy has been questioned a yeah. lot. Yeah, look, look, I think I think they went too back of a length and even not short enough or not full enough. I think that full ball they bowled to, you know, the full delivery that cap- that, that um, Pattinson bowled to, Stuart Broad first up. That's what they need to bowl, I think, and they didn't do that enough. And, and that's why you think if... They didn't bowl a single Yorker at Jack Leach, I don't if think. If Mitchell Stark was there at the end, you'd, you'd think he'd be t- homing in on young Jack Leach, wouldn't he? But yeah, I mean, what could have been, right? But st- I mean, full credit to Stokes and also to the, to the number 11 for getting him across the line, you know? Fair play. And you're right, I think, Tobes, like, that crowd was something really special and I think they really got behind the team, didn't they? Sort of almost dragged them across the line with belief. And, and it's interesting you mentioned Headingley. I mean, Headingley, we've now seen, I think, four of the great... English test innings, right? So obviously you have Ian Botham's 149 not out in 1981. Uh, Graham Gooch's century against the West Indies in 1991 is, you know, that was a masterpiece. Mark Butcher's against Australia, another fourth innings chase in 2001. Okay, the series was dead, but it was a great innings. And now Ben Stokes. I mean, it does seem like there is something about Headingley uh, that helps helps produce these these heroic performances. Well, you know, I wouldn't come to this program without. Or show <laughs> with some stats. I've come prepared as ever. I mean, just just as a three here that I, I found. I think this is England's win is the first instance of a team winning a test after being bowled out for less than seventy in the first innings. That's take that's a hundred and thirty one year record. It's also the highest successful run chase for England in Test match cricket, and three hundred and sixty two for nine is the highest fourth innings run chase for England ever. So it's a it's a funny old place in a good way if you've got three lines on your chest. Mm. I've got one more stat. It's the first time in a 111 years that an Ashes test has been won by one wicket. Wow. I know. That's, um, that really surprised me, actually. I would have thought, given the number of, of tests in that time. But I think there's been a few other close finishes, right, where, remember, Australia in 2005 fell two runs short, was it? Or three runs short? Um, the famous partnership, yeah, Edgbaston. I mean, I think there's probably been some close finishes, but not necessarily the wickets and the wicket side. But One more stats. Stokes hit eight sixes in his innings in the century. That is the third highest ever by a batsman in the fourth innings of a test. Look at you with now, your stats. who knows who the other two are? <laughs> Sorry, Toby. Toby, I'm coming for you. I'm going to say, who, who are the other I'm two? Sorry, one of them, Adam, is Adam Gilchrist, maybe? No, but you're in the right region of the world. The, the right hemisphere. <laughs> the, right, the right hemisphere, as, as Ravi Shastri would put it. You're in the right hemisphere, correct. Oh, that's tough. I'll give you a hint. They're both key. Oh, Cairns? No. Nope. Martin Crowe? Brendan McCullum? Brendan McCullum, yeah. Martin nope. Crowe, no? Wow. Well, no, it's... Uh, so Nathan Assel uh, hit 11. What? Against two? Didn't he hit a double century in a, in a fourth inning? Against once? two, though. I, just, I can't remember. I just MCC have to say, Taverners or something. Probably doesn't. It's probably against Hong Kong. No, no, it's a, it's a test match. It's a test match. <laughs> okay, okay, sorry, sorry, Nathan. Yeah, it's it's his two hundred and twenty-two, isn't it? 
That was against um, 222 of 153 balls against England. Boom, boom, boom. Wow, wow, wow. There we go. Toby's totally, Toby's totally Southey, switched off right now. <laughs> Tim Southey hit nine sixes. Tim Southey? Wow. Against who? Yeah, he hit nine sixes. Uh, also against England. <laughs> on <laughs> debut. <at> you. <laughs> wow, that's a, that must be a record for like a tail ender as well, number of maximums. That's incredible. Seven, 77 or 40 balls or 40 balls on his debut. What? Wow. In England, in New Zealand. Yeah. That's incredible batting. Yeah. On debut, too. Wow. Yeah. It was probably Eden Park where the boundaries are about 40 meters long, but still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like we should find somewhere. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Downplay it. <laughs> Just a quick one, Darren, as a, a, you know, a proud Australian citizen, how, how have you found the media reaction in Oz to, to what happened um, at a, a heading? I don't really read the Australian media anymore. Yeah, I, I think it's, it was people really appraising Stokes, that's for sure. But I think people are just ruining the mischances. I, I think people felt, you know, I, I was feeling when, when Bairstow was batting with Stokes for a while that, okay, this is slipping away. You know, I think everyone felt like this is really slipping away. Bairstow came to the crease for great attention. Then they lost five for about 30-odd, right, didn't they? After lunch, and we thought, okay, it's done. So I think people were just, you know, you see on Facebook all the Australians sending out things saying, you know, the Ashes are, are staying here, yada, 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 yada. All, then all of a sudden it turned around. So I think it was those missed opportunities that people are really ruining the media. But they were pr- praising Stokes for sure. Like, Stokes did receive a lot of praise in the Australian media, and rightly so. I think the question now is, People are asking, can they turn this around? Can they get themselves up off the floor and turn up again in Trent Bridge and really be fired up for the game and not let this sort of weigh on them a lot? Which which remains to be seen, of course, right? But I think I think they'll be okay. There's 10 days between the game, right? So I think that's good. I think if it was only a three or four day break, it might be different, but there's a bit of time to sort of recuperate and really get their shit together again, you know? Well, they've got a game against Derbyshire, haven't they? Uh, and then they've got Steve Smith. <laughs> they've got this guy called Steve Smith coming back. And, uh, but you've got bloody Anderson coming back. Will, will they risk Anderson if he breaks down again? Imagine if Anderson had been batting at number 11. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, true. That's uh, what I kept thinking. You're right, uh, though, Darren. It is a risk because well, Anderson will be playing. He has been playing, I think, um, in the last couple of days, uh, having a sort of uh, a run out. I guess you kind of, I don't know, it's at Lancashire. He's got a name. He's got an end of the ground named after him. You kind of have to... <laughs> get him back in if you can. I don't know. It's it's a temp- it's a tempter because I think Wokes wasn't wasn't bold very much, particularly in the second innings at Headingley. I don't know what's going on there. And to be honest, for all his heroics, Leach didn't bowl that much either. So I don't know if there's going to be some bowling changes because I think Broad and Broad and Archer have to have to continue. But b- beyond that, I think there are some certainly question marks in the bowling unit and massive question marks for the batting unit for Old Trafford uh, next week. Well, this is um, yeah. I had a lot of questions because of course. I mean, England won the match, but, you know, you can't really say any of their batsmen, um, except, of course, you know, Stokes, Bairstow and Root, I guess. But the rest of them have been um, very up and down. Uh, And I wonder if they'll make any changes despite winning the match. Well, Jason is is kind of a a wicket waiting to happen. And effectively, Joe Root is the de facto opener and has been for the last two tests. And uh, I mean, he doesn't look comfortable at three, the captain. He's been a bit out of sorts. He's, you know, he's got it scratched himself into a bit of form uh, headingly and it looked a little bit more calm. But I think the problem really lies in it's a, it's a side that's awash with middle order batsmen and Butler hasn't been firing at all. Bairstow looks very, very tired. So there's lots of tinkering and Joe Denley hasn't quite 
settled at four. He, he had a decent score, but hasn't looked totally comfortable. And Burns, after his initial burst as an opener, seems to be looking like they might have worked him out under the short ball again. So there's more question marks than answers, really, apart from the, the main man, Mr. Benjamin Stokes. Yeah, and lots of questions for Australia, Dan. Yeah, I, I think, again, the, the bowling, as we said before the series, I mean, everyone's been talking about how strong the bowling is on each team, and I think that's proved to be true. It's it's really the who can bat the best, isn't it? I think Australia will make some changes too for the next test. I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure. I mean, Smith must come into the side, and, La- and Labuschagne has really acquitted himself very well. He seems like a real fighter, so he'll definitely stay in the team. Whether they take they boot out Harris, maybe, and bring in up to Kawaja up to open, potentially. He has a very high average opening at the top of the order but I do worry about him in English conditions or do they get rid of head or Wade maybe out of the team? So, I mean, they've got a lot of, a lot of choices and stuff to go through there in their order. I think nobody's really set except for Smith and in Labuschagne. I think Warner was lucky, I think in the first dig to score that 50, it was a hard pitch to bat on for sure, but he, he, they're not going to boot him. So those three are locks in and anybody else's guess what they do with the rest of the order, I, I suppose. On the bowling side, you think they've got to bring in Stark at some stage. I think Cummins looked a bit tired, if I'm honest, in that last innings. I mean, he's been bowling his heart out all, all summer in England. So do they bring in Stark? Um, Hazelwood, I thought, looked the pick of the bowlers too. So a lot of choices to make. He, yeah. he bowled beautifully, Hazelwood, I thought, really well. Really, I mean, in the first innings in particular, he really, his length was just unplayable. Yeah, I don't know. What do, you guys, what do you guys think about the batting order, the Australian batting order? What are they going to do? I think what... Your, your first suggestion seems the most likely to me. They move Usman Kawaja up and drop Harris because I, my suspicion is they won't want to drop Head or Wade because they seem more solid. You know, they're more experienced at this point. Travis Head now has played a year of... Is it a year? He's played a year of test Yeah, cricket. and his average is up towards 50. And, his average you know. is... Yeah, it's, it's good. He, he doesn't get the centuries, but he, he, looks, he always looks solid. Matthew Wade scored a... Did he score a century two tests ago? Yeah. I didn't make that up. Yeah. He did. But um, that was after I. He was mostly facing the sort of second string bowlers, though, if you remember, in that weird innings. True. I mean, I, it's, it's tough on Marcus Harris, but I, I guess they're going to stick with their most experienced players, I would think, after everything that happened. Uh, but they don't have a lot of options, do they? No, they don't really. I'm just very surprised by the, the Mitchell Stark thing. You know, he's a pedigree bowler and I know it's been a horses for courses type approach that the Australians have taken and, and rightly so because Hazelwood's selection has handsomely paid off uh, but just having someone of that you know bowl, delivery delivering of that speed alongside Cummins who's the top test bowler in the world just adds an even greater sharpness to an attack I just don't understand if they had a falling out with management or, or what's been going on with him no I, I just think they feel they felt so far Hazelwood Cummins um and they've had Siddle in there as well, right? And Patton said a better bowlers in English conditions. I think Stark was didn't do that well last time, but I, I think he's improved as a bowler, and he really is a strike weapon. So he's much more of a swing at the stumps or at the head kind of bowler, whereas the other guys are seam bowlers. I think they do need some variety. I, I like the left arm as well. I think it does give a lot more variety to the attack. So I, I'm pretty sure he'll come in for the, the next test, and I wouldn't be surprised if the rest Patton's in, and maybe it's Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins. Um, but I do, as I said earlier, Cummins might be getting a bit fatigued and a bit tired, I think. Yeah. And that was, I think, the concern about Stark as well going into the series, um, from what I recall, was that he might not be quite as fresh as someone like a Siddle or a Pat. Well, he should Pat be fresh now. <laughs> right? Should be, yeah. Darren, I just want to go back to the second test, actually, because we, we have glossed over that that one. You were there at Lords for one of the most gripping 
passages of fast bowling. Correct, that was, yeah. Jofra Archer knocking over Steve Smith, who eventually, you know, leaves the field with a, con- with a uh, suspected concussion, passes the test, come back out, bats wildly to try and get to his century, and then en- ends up missing the match because of a concussion. I mean, quite a, a, a gripping, you know, passage of play. What was it like? Because I always feel like with fast bowlers, you can't really assess how quick they are unless you watch them in person. Yeah, and watching them side on, I was in the stand watching it side on as well. So you sort of, you sort of, you know, he was throwing the ball and he started to build his speed. So you saw him going sort of 87, 88, and you looked up, it was 90, 91. So this was into his third or fourth spell. I think he seemed to build up to 95, and I think he let one go at 96. But he was really, the key thing about it was his accuracy. He was bowling everything at the badge of the helmet or just below, and it was very straight bounces too. And then he was pitching it up. So he was he bowled this spell that was just unbelievable, and it's one of these magic spells. You, if you witness live, it's it, it's 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 so amazing. And I mean, he hit he hit Smith flush in the back of the neck. The whole crowd jumped off their seat. There was a hush around the ground because he just went down like a sack of potatoes. Right? He didn't look like he was moving. Nobody was sure if he was moving or not. And everyone remembers, of course, what happened to Phil Hughes. And it was really a, a sort of quiet period around the ground where everyone was just out of their seats and being very concerned for Smith's wealth, welfare. I mean, obviously, a few minutes before that, the crowd was clapping and geeing Joffre Archer on as they should. But I think the whole crowd stopped and was out of their seats when he went down because they were really concerned about his health and his welfare. And I think, obviously, he was very concussed. You know, he, he barely got off the ground. He didn't know where he was, you could tell. And him coming out to bat is... People are saying it's mental toughness, but it probably wasn't the right thing to do to come out and bat again. I mean, he definitely was out of it. And the way he padded up to Wokes, I think he would never do that normally. So he was obviously dazed and confused. And there was a lot of concern about him overnight that he might be, there might be something wrong with him, but, but hopefully he's okay. And I see him hitting the balls in the nets now. So he seems to be better. And then, you know, old Manus Labashain, the first ever concussion substitute gets smacked right in the grill first ball, right? <laughs> Welcome to the crease. So, England have this rare find right now, this great fast bowler that they haven't had for generations. Very quick, very fearsome, very accurate, and just seems like a very easygoing, likable guy as well. So he's got this new hero as well in Joffre Archer. Yeah, he looks ferocious, Joffre Archer. And it, it really was a kind of heart-in-your-mouth moment when uh, when he hit Smith. I think what, the issue with the concussion protocol, from what I can tell, is um, you ask the questions, you can pass the test, but concussions can reoccur you know, a few hours later. So there's nothing to suggest that just because you passed a test at one moment that you're you're not still concussed. And, you, 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 and, you know, they probably need to do some work on that. I mean, there are issues around having the team doctor administer the test as well because team doctors have a conflict of interest and maybe the ICC should, should look at independent doctors doing it. You know, it, it is important. Imagine if, if, you know, Steve Smith comes back out, Joffre Archer's well within his rights to bowl another short one at right. him. And it's not even just that. I mean, you know, people can pass out after the concussion if they're not watched. So most sports have a sort of five to 10 day window where you can't come out and play again. Just even if you're concussed in the game, you can't come and re-enter the game if you're concussed. It's just you're automatically out. There's a five or 10 day waiting period to make sure you're okay um, for that very reason, right? So so yeah, it was um, pretty hor- horrific, but geez, it was a great spell of test cricket to watch. Yeah, and um, any predictions, uh, Toby, on the Old Trafford pitch? Well, I'll be there. Uh, hashtag humble brag. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm very lucky to be uh, to be going. I'm going to the first day. Um, 
And so, look, Old Trafford, uh, it, it drains well. They spent a lot on the drainage at Old Trafford since they've turned the pitch around to... Uh, well, they have to in Manchester. They do. <laughs> Another honest. stat for you, by the way, is that apparently Old Trafford, I think this was in the 1800s, is the only test match to ever be washed out without a single ball being bowled was at Old Trafford. So you're absolutely right. It can be a bit damp up north. But um, I think... Look, it drains well. I think it's usually overcast. I think we've had some good good weather in the UK. Usually something in it for the bowlers to begin with. You don't want to be batting on it uh, last, I don't think. Um, so I guess, I guess, for me, Australia have the best spinner in the team and that could always be a trump card. So I, I really think it's down to England. If, if they decide to bat first, they need to put on a big score which they haven't been able to all summer and so I think it's really it's nip and tuck um, there's very little between the two sides if they both perform okay all right well we should perhaps have a quick word about some of the other cricket news from around the world uh, before we get to our quotes and muppets <laughs> now has anyone been following the Sri Lanka New Zealand series not really I was actually you know double screening during the ashes and actually what turning it over and watching some of the the um, Sri Lanka game it was quite interesting actually uh, I think Kane Williams set up a declaration, right? And then bowled Sri Lanka out quite quickly and quite rapidly, I think. Um, and I think one of the other things from, from that game is just how successful some of these New Zealand batsmen are at test cricket. There are three of them now in the top 10 test batsmen. Latham just seems to be scoring 100 after 100 at the moment. Henry Nichols and, of course, Kane Williamson. They're just phenomenal test match players. And that's what really stood out to me as well. And I think really having your friend Tim Southey I think he bowled really well and locked them over. So it ended up being one all in the series, I think, uh, in Sri Lanka, right? Yeah, it's it's one all in the series. That's and that's that, which is a shame, unfortunately. I think there's but some T twenties, yeah. Three T twenties, of course, yeah, to come. But actually, I think a good result for New Zealand uh, to win in in Colombo. Yeah, so one all in the series didn't so, embarrass themselves. Yeah, not a, not an easy place. India, of course, were touring the West Indies. Uh, two test series played their first test match, won it quite comfortably uh, on the back of the fast bowlers, really. Um, Jasprit Bumrah, five for seven. That is the least expensive five-wicket haul by an Indian bowler. He also becomes the first Asian bowler to take a a five-wicket haul in Australia, South Africa, England, and the West Indies. Wow, this is a stat attack in the highest order. This is impressive. I told you, I, I came prepared today. I was a bit bored, actually, today. Yeah, he's my favourite. So, you know, I've been, always been a big fan of him since I saw him in the IPL. I think he's a really exciting talent. He's just such a great bowler. He really is good. He is. You've got Curtly Ambrose and Andy Roberts both uh, singing his praises in the media over the last couple of days. He bowled beautifully in the second innings. But actually, you have to also um, praise Ishan Sharma, who took eight wickets in the match, including five in the first innings. Seems like a transformed bowler these days. Um, maybe, maybe bowling with uh, with Bumrah's helping him, and Shami's really. Bowling maybe well. it's the Shastri effect. Maybe he likes being coached by Ravi Shastri. Well, that is actually the big story, isn't it? Ravi Shastri has been renewed as India's coach. You heard it on Cricket Ultras first. It was a whole ruse. Remember the whole ruse about them looking for another coach? It's like really are they? And then why are they looking for another coach? Oh, it's Ravi Shastri again. <laughs> Shortlist. Did you see the, the release where he was confirmed? <laughs> no, I didn't read that. Because they, they wrote down the, the ranking of the three candidates. And so at the top was Ravi Shastri. And then underneath was some guy called Mike Hassan. Because <laughs> they, they spelt Mike Hassan wrong. <laughs> so it's, it's not just us that struggle with, with whoever Mike Hassan is. And then in third spot, I couldn't even tell you who came in third. 
Oh, it was Phil uh, Simmons, yeah, right? So Wasn't it Phil was, Simmons? Was renewed. Wasn't it Phil Simmons? Phil Simmons, right? May, may have been. I can't. I don't remember. But um, Mike Hessen is going to be the coach of which IPL team? I don't know. I, I heard he turned down the Pakistan job. But he's been co- he's been appointed coach recently for RCB. Oh, oh, wow. Okay, good for them. Yeah, he turned down the Pakistan job, which I think was a bit harsh on on Pakistan. But well, it's a hardship. It could be a hardship posting, right? I mean, it's a yeah. I don't know. I think Mickey, Mickey Arthur seemed to enjoy. Well, he it. does. Yeah, he definitely enjoys it. He did. Yeah. So anyway, there's one more test in this series in Kingston. West Indies batsmen are really going to have to step up. Their openers went way too cheaply. Good test match for Roston Chase. Took six wickets, scored some good runs. Oh, and we should also mention Ajinkya Rahane finally scoring a century after, what was it, two years or something, and a lot of pressure on his place. So that's, I think, very helpful for him. And again, you know, Kimar Roche and Shannon Gabriel both bowling Reasonably well again, especially in the first in the first dig. They bowled well. Kimar Roach in particular, I think, bowled well without a lot of luck. He beat the bat a lot. Um, I think you know the West Indies is reasonably good at home. They they played well against England earlier this year, so I suspect them to give a much better account of themselves um, in the second test. Did you see any of the, uh, the the crowds by the way? Because one of the things we talked about when England toured were the the pretty poor marketing effort. Uh, locally yeah, was there any good turnouts similar. empty 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 um i mean that that match in particular the last one was at north sound which is i don't think that well attended anyway kingston hopefully you'll get more but um it's been a feature of of matches in the west indies for a while now isn't it these kind of empty stadiums it is quite sad and the other big talking point should mention from the game is that ravi jadeja was picked ahead of r ashwin which was maybe a little bit controversial uh, he batted very well. He bowled okay, but I think it looks like this is going to be the the new normal for India. Ashwin will not be the first choice from now on, possibly because of the the fitness concerns around him. So, a bit harsh on him, but you know he'll get he'll get his he'll get his chances. I'm sure at some point. Right. So, I guess we have a lot of quotes, um, and maybe some muppets as well. Uh, shall we start with the Muppets of the week? Because it gives us a good opportunity to talk about another another story, actually. Any contenders for Muppet of the week? Or Muppet? <laughs> Muppet or plural. I don't really have any this week. I have a few quotes, but not really Muppet. I, I know what you're going to talk about, so we'll leave that with you. I won't steal your thunder. Uh, I've, got, I've got a group of Muppets, a, uh, a sort of a collection of, uh, in the form a show. of... A show, I think. <laughs> a show of Muppets. Is that right? Yeah, a show, well a, done. A parliament of Muppets, well um, which I think I, I describe in the nicest possible terms, I think probably the ECB. Um, and the reason I'm calling them out for being Muppets this, this week is just this continued issue that you have in England around the lack of free-to-air cricket. You have this huge amount of money spent on uh, marketing the World Cup, Finally got a success in that. Really need to build on that platform. And Sky, uh, obviously, sort of pay-per-view, had their highest ever cricket audience for this end of the the, the Headingley test, which is still what, six million less than was available on free-to-air in the 2005 Ashes series. So 
there needs to be something, and I don't know what it is, to take advantage of this because cricket's on the front pages for the first time since probably the World Cup in 2005 before it. You looked at all of the papers this week and Stokes was either either pictured or the headline was about the cricket, and that doesn't happen. And they really need to take advantage of this PR platform. So I don't know whether they have you know, discussions with, with Sky or other broadcasters, but until they do, this is going to fizzle out again. And so they're, they're, they're Muppets if they don't do something. Yeah. Great. Yeah, good shout. Um, so I've got two contenders for Muppets. First one, I think an honourable mention for Shane Warne, <laughs> um, who's, I think, a, a sort of perennial contender for Muppet of the Week. He got into a, a, just a really mindless Twitter spat with Matt Pryor and Chris Adams. So obviously there's been a lot of so-called banter on social media after England's win. Matt Pryor, who I think has, has held a grudge against uh, Nathan Lyon for, for a few years now, since a, a press conference where Nathan Lyon said that Matt Pryor was scared and wanted to fly home during a test match. So Matt Pryor, I guess, I guess uh, proving that revenge is a, is a dish best served cold, uh, waited, waited until the, the denouement of this match to put out a pretty innocuous tweet, really, where he just, just had the eyeballs and, and the hashtag Mother Cricket for Nathan Lyon. To which Shane Warne responded quite furiously, excuse me, just because Lion knocked you over for fun, there's still no need for that kind of silly and immature behaviour. Grow up and enough of those stupid comments. Let's celebrate the wonderful game of test cricket and the ashes, please. Always fun when Shane Warne tells someone to grow up. Yeah, I think it's funny. I think he's just throwing it back. It's, I think it's really hilarious. Sticking up for his, for, his, for his brother, his spin brother. Matt Pryor came back with, now it's silly, immature and childish. Geez, you guys have short memories. I don't think you can pick and choose when to hide behind it's just banter and then decide it's now childish and immature. And then, for some reason, Chris Adams got involved. I think he retweeted Matt Pryor and said something along the lines of, yeah, they can they can give it out or whatever. And then Shane Warne said, Chris, you were nothing but a club cricketer. So don't even bore us with your dribble, as no one is interested or cares in what you have to say. Pipe down. Chris Adams. I actually looked this up. Chris Adams played 336 first-class games and five tests. So um, he's quite a good club cricketer. Anyway, Shane Warne, uh, a contender, but obviously uh, he's not going to take the honour this week because the Muppets of the week, and I don't know if Muppet is too light a term for these two, I was going to say jokers, but maybe that's too light a term as well. Miscreants. Idiots. Miscreants, uh, criminals, in, in fact. Now, Hong Kong's Ahmed brothers, um, who I am vaguely familiar with, Irfan and Nadim, banned for life for match fixing, uh, or actually spot fixing. Three Hong Kong matches in particular, three 2020 matches, um, Scotland, Canada and Zimbabwe between January 2014 and March 2016. Another Hong Kong player, Hasib Amjad, banned for five years. If you go into the evidence around this, it's quite amazing. You, you, there's a lot of WhatsApp messages involving the, uh, the the bookmakers, in which we learn that um, neither Irfan nor Nadib priced themselves particularly high for their transgressions. Uh, it's not the first time Irfan has been in trouble. I think he was banned for two years for not reporting a fixing approach. Uh, there's always been a lot of chatter around these two individuals, um, and now they've paid the heaviest penalty, as they should. But it does... I think, shine a pretty unsavoury spotlight on the member nations. I find it hard to believe that um, this isn't the tip of the iceberg, really. Um, when you're talking about some of these countries where uh, they're not getting paid a lot, 
to play cricket. They don't have careers necessarily outside the game. And they're playing a lot of meaningless matches which don't lead to anything. Uh, and betting's illegal in many places, right? These, you can legally bet on these basically amateur sports, more or less. Yeah, it opens a can of worms, doesn't it? You've got to think that it's more widespread than it is, surely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really worrying, actually, because even with these three, there were many more matches, I think, that were sort of in the consideration set, but they just didn't have enough evidence. So, And, you know, they, one of the charges against them, I think proven for two of them was that they, or at least for one of them, was that they approached other players. So, you know, you've got to think there's, there's more out there. All right. Okay, quotes. Toby, would you like to start? Yeah, well, I've, I've actually not gone with one from Headingley. I've gone one linked to Headingley, and I've dusted off a classic from Sanjay Mandraker um, <laughs> from 2018, actually. Oh, so now I'll read it. It's, it's a tweet. It's a tweet. Um, so, and I'll, I'll quote. So, so you have these hardworking chefs who have made a great dish. Someone comes and puts a little garnish on top, and he gets all the credit. Moeen, Leach, folks are those poor chefs and Stokes the one with the garnish and um, the response to that Ben Stokes again this is a classic from Ben uh, we don't care about personal credit and garnish is pointless on all food anyways so that is a quite a nice response from mm. uh, the hero of the hour well, there you go. well it's pointless on, uh, on, on quarter pounders yeah, for sure <laughs> What, what about that Uber driver? Could you imagine being the Uber driver who picked those guys up to take them I to was, the McDonald's? I was wondering that. You, first of all, did he recognize them? Where's his That's story? That's funny, exactly. Did he get a selfie or something with them? You know, I mean, half cut. They must have been half cut or, or more than half cut by the time they got in that car. So Butler, Wokes, Burns and Roots, <laughs> all in an Uber, right? Driving through a McDonald's drive through Yeah, they must have been quite flying there, I, I'd say. I saw the, uh, the, the, the head of comms, I think, for McDonald's in the UK got sort of on it on Twitter just saying, fantastic, you know, let us pay next time. But unfortunately, the, the, head, the front page of the Daily Mirror had Burger King with a picture of Stokes. <laughs> well, they also had Nando's, right? They, they also talked about the night yeah, before doing a, a the... fake Nando's or a knockoff Nando's. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Yeah, something, something like Nando's. Stolen. Stolen Nando's. Chicken cottage, <laughs> chicken. No, chicken that one. Cottage. That's that's an old favourite. Chicken cottage. That was like pre Nando's, you know, and a Seven Sisters Road. Kind of a rip off Nando's. And and two Yorkies, two Yorkies, raisin yeah. and biscuit. Raisin the night and before biscuit. Before a match, I'm just like, yeah, see. Two coffees yeah, for breakfast. Nice. Yeah, so it's breakfast exactly. of champions. There were quarter pounders flying everywhere. Jack Leach has got free glasses for life from Specsavers. Darren, you tell us. I mean, you you, you wear glasses. I, I believe you're. I believe they're real lenses in them. You don't just wear them for for. I must say I have much better looking glasses than Jack Leach. They they really are grand. Did they really steam up that often or was he just doing that for for effect? No, I think it was was for effect. That's actually, you've actually, you've actually segued beautifully into my quote, which is, you know, they asked him, he's become a bit of a cult hero, right? And he said, it's probably because I look like a village cricketer in these glasses. And he does. He looks just like a, a sort of a, a typical English village cricketer. You see, a, you know, hardworking, love the game. They look dorky, awkward, you know, not, not very fashionable. And he's got a few good quotes there as well, right? Um, um, he said, that's nice. I don't know what it is. It's probably because I look like a village cricketer out there in my glasses. The bald head and maybe people think that could be me. All the others look really professional, but not me. <laughs> 100%. He really looks like a number of cricketers. It's a picture. And that's why people like him, right? They're indeed, he looks like an ordinary sort of guy. And I just love his nickname. Do you know what his nickname is? The nut. 
Oh yeah, I did see which that. Which is just short. I would hate to have a nickname like the Nut because of my head. <laughs> just, it would be terrible, right? Life's been tough to Leach though. He was diagnosed with Crohn's disease at 14. He used to work at Tesco's in Taunton. Before while England were winning the World Cup, he was playing for his club side in Taunton and even paying subs to play. Just over a month later, he was at the other end witnessing Stokes play the greatest England innings ever. How about that for a little story, right? Yeah, and look, that single, um, he took a little tuck off really his hip. well played. He, he re- I don't know if you've seen the video where he recreates <laughs> yeah, tuck off it. The hip. Yeah, exactly, I'm sure. You know, it's, uh, I mean, what a single. So any more quotes? I've got, there were quarter pounders flying everywhere. I do have a really good quote. It's not funny or anything, but it's from Gary Lineker. And he said, you know, if you're not into cricket, you have my utmost sympathy. I thought that was very sweet of him. Yeah. That's a good quote for life. (laughs) Let's get T-shirts made up of that. Ultras (laughs) T-shirts. My favorite quote was actually Nasser Hussain's tweet. Uh, A callback, this one. You cannot do that, Ben Stokes. Because of course, I think he said that on air. Very um, good. That was the claw, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Any more from you, Toby? No, I think I've I've just taken a week to settle down um, health wise, just to come off the ceiling again. So I've not been um, scouring the internet too much, but um, it's been a fabulous week. But we're back to the grindstone next week, it could be a dose you know, of reality. I, I, in, uh, I must Lancashire. say, just how stressful Test cricket is to watch, especially good Test cricket. You know, I was driving through Scotland listening to TMS. And I was so focused on the radio that Rachel said, look, let me drive. <laughs> like, you know, so she was driving and I was just listening to the cricket, watching the Scottish Highlands pass us by, right? Because it was really intense. And it was hard for me to drive and listen to it at the same time. So action-packed. Every every session, every hour seems to change uh, sway either way. So it's been a great series so far. But stressful, man. It's a cliche, isn't it? It's a cliche, but test cricket is still the ultimate test for yeah, really professional is. cricketers. And I know people say... Is it dying or do we need these sorts of things? But I think this definitely gives a bit of lead in its pencil after you get one of these kind of matches. Yeah, it's the most stressful for fans, that's for sure. I don't think it's dying at all in the sense... I mean, look, I know there are lots of questions, but we've seen so many great test matches, I, I feel, over the last few years. There's just been there's been a number of really good test matches. And it is. It's just it's just a great form of, of a great game. And it, I mean, this, this was the... I, I don't know, it's one of the... Yeah, I don't know. There's been a lot of talk. Is it the greatest test? Was it the greatest innings? And all that stuff. And I feel I feel like those conversations are a little bit pointless because they're so subjective. But this was clearly the, you know, I, I, it would be one of my top three test matches that I've watched. Um, what are the other ones? Sure. Uh, Can you name them? <laughs> oh, good question. Yeah, top 16? I'd say um, Calcutta, Calcutta 2001. The tie test? No, the... Um, the VVS oh the turn the, the, yes the turn around against Steve Wars team yeah, yeah. The f- absolutely the that was great that was great I, I I still I have a lot of time for the Bridgetown test in 99 Brian Lara scored 153 I thought that was a fabulous test match and then you know there's a there's the Edgebaston test in 2005 I think up was, there as well it was yeah. wonderful as well yeah what about yours I was going to say um I was going to say Edgebass in 2005. I just remember, remember being in Taipei, sitting there in a bar with a whole bunch of people watching the stress of that sort of overnight score and coming back the next morning and watching that test. And it just being on the knife edge, every ball was just you know hard in your mouth. Very similar to what it was in those last 40 runs on Sunday. I mean, I, I think Ben Stokes really summed it up well. He said, you know, there was only one option when Leach came out. I had to swing the bat, right? But he said, when it got down to the final less than 10 runs, I started to think about it a lot. I was getting stressed about it because it was like, Jesus, we could win this now, right? It's nine runs to get. And it was quite funny that he wasn't watching 
Jack Leach bat. He was staring straight down at his feet, which which Leach later said kind of put him off a bit. Like he couldn't bear to watch the delivery at Jack Leach, which inspires lots of confidence. But um, yeah. Toby, your favourite test matches? Um, I, I think the Edge of Aston is, is a big one that lives in the memory. I think the other one actually that people called out was Cardiff and Jimmy Anderson and um, Monty Panesar. That was a draw, wasn't it? Yeah, but it's just, it was a similar feeling. It was kind of ironic cheers. I know there wasn't a victory, but it did feel like that sort of uh, sort of bunker down and just get through it type thing. Whereas, fortunately, in this instance, in heading, they ended in a, a, a remarkable victory. So, similar parallels in many ways. But there, you know, there are so many good test matches. I feel you know it, these we've just scratched the surface, and and of course we're heavily biased because of the the teams that we watch more often. If you're a Pakistani or West Indian, you know you're going to call up. I mean, if you're a West Indian, you're going to call up a number of matches from the nineties, which were ridiculous bowling performance. If you go back to what we talked about earlier, didn't we? about the Sri Lanka win this year against uh, South Africa. I mean, th- those, they're monumental wins. Nobody would have predicted that they would win a test series in South Africa. And also to have that last wicket partnership as they did with Kusal Mendes. Yeah, but we just didn't watch it. I didn't watch the game. I read about it later, but I didn't actually watch it. But that must have been unbelievable to watch that finish if you're a Sri Lankan fan. Yep. So it does seem to me like test cricket, at least the game is in rude health. But thankfully, the 100 <laughs> is coming because <laughs> we really need it. Um, And that's probably a good note on which to end. Thank you all. We'll be back, I guess, after the next test in Old Trafford.